Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of their journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, an English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today's interview, I'm excited to talk to class of 2005's Derek Jensen, co-owner, executive director of Mod Volleyball, one of the most successful volleyball clubs in the Midwest, which provides training for boys and girls ages K through 18, with programs based in North Suburban Chicago. Derek will share with us how he successfully bumped his vast business background and instincts into action, set his love of volleyball, and ultimately spiked his way to success to emerge out of COVID protocols to have a club with over 90 volleyball teams. Joining us from the class of 2005 is Derek Jensen. Derek, tell us what you do. Oh, thanks for having me, Brian. Um, as of this moment, I am the owner of Mod Volleyball Club. So, you know, a lot of different hats I wear there, but uh, that would be my general title. I own a youth volleyball club. We're based in the north suburbs of Chicago. Um, our main facility is in Northbrook, and we offer programming for boys and girls anywhere between eight years old and 18. Uh, and anything from like a minis program, we call it, where you're just learning volleyball, um, you know, you're borderline just learning how to be an athlete, all the way up to, you know, our best 18s who are headed to college to play uh, Division One athletics. So, um, yeah, a lot of different things going on there. Derek, wh where did you go after you left WeGo? So after West Chicago, you know, I, I pursued... About 50% my business goals and about 50% my athletic goals. So uh, I knew I wanted to play volleyball in college, um, but education was definitely first for me. So really the adventure was finding a school where I could keep playing that also kind of fit um, the direction that I, I saw my career going. Um, so it worked out really well. I ended up at Loyola University, Chicago. You know, I honestly did not know it existed until I went to watch a, a volleyball match uh, between Loyola and Ohio State. So had never been to the campus, had never heard of Loyola until kind of the end of my junior year. Um, and it ended up being a perfect fit. So kind of went into marketing and finance at Loyola while playing um, on the Division I volleyball team there. It was, it was definitely quite the journey. I uh, learned, learned a ton. And honestly, the the split of academics and sports is exactly where I am now in life, too. So really, my whole career path, school path, education, everything has been a, you know, I've kind of picked up small things along the way that have kind of created exactly what I do today. Um, so yeah, I graduated from Loyola, uh, immediately got my MBA while I was a grad assistant for the team I had just played on. Uh, and that was, you know, kind of where 
where my career path started. Uh, so many cool follow-up questions for that. But did you know, were you conscious of how you were going to fuse those two parts together, your love of volleyball and all things marketing and business? Like when did that yeah. become a, a a conscious effort to, to bring those th- two things together? Sure. I, I think, you know, <laughs> the fun answer that would make me sound like I uh, had everything together would be it was the plan the whole time. I love sports. I love the <laughs> sports industry. You know, I had it all worked out. Um, but honestly, it was the exact opposite. Uh, I had played club volleyball since I was 11 years old. Um, and I had aspirations to, you know, be an attorney or go into business. I, I saw myself wearing a suit every day when I was, you know, over the age of 25. Um, so honestly, it was almost the exact opposite where because of my experience in youth sports, I told myself I was never going to be that guy hanging out in a gym all night wearing sweatpants when I was 30 years old. So um, young, arrogant and uninformed opinion, uh, as I have now learned in my older age. But it was not my intent at all. I I had no expectation to be in sports business. Um, I just played a sport and went to a college that that had that sport. Uh, I thought that was where it was going to end. So it, it was a series of experiences that honestly have kind of culminated in the last two years, probably, um, that happened over about 10 to 15 years of my life to lead me to um, kind of where I'm at now. So if I could just rewind a little bit, just kind of back in the day when you were playing volleyball for a Division One team, I mean, you're playing at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Uh I was wondering if you could maybe talk about the how you were able to maybe find the balance uh, of, you know, maintaining your focus with school and then how are you able to then also, you know, really keep sharpening yourself as an athlete? Uh, what did you find was successful for you? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great question. And it is without a doubt the reason I, I kind of am who I am today. Um, going into college we all expect to be as good as we were in high school, be the best, you know, everything to kind of work out. I had a great high school experience. And, you know, when, when you're younger and you're playing on club teams or a high school team, if you're going to make it to division one athletics, you're usually at the top of your game. Right. And then everybody from all those pools gets put into one much, much smaller pool of all the best from everywhere. So it, it was a definitely an awakening from the athletic side. Um, and then from just balancing that in academics, I just learned how to, you know, manage my time. I learned that even once you do know how to manage your time, nothing's easy and every day is going to be a grind. Um, and then honestly, you know, I, it's probably where I learned how to manage my time as well as, as other people. Um, because you know, my, from the athletic side, I wasn't a starter at Loyola. I wasn't the go-to player by any stretch. I found my time on the court, but really, you know, my athletics and my academics were probably a little bit more closely or more fused than your average uh, college athlete's experience because I ended up being uh, a captain there for three years without even being a starter. So my college athletics experience was more based on trying to be a good teammate uh, making sure, you know, my roommates and teammates and, and peers were in the right place at the right time. And, and we're all working together to achieve a common goal. Um, so 
I, I would say, long story long, the toughest four years in terms of hard work, um, growth and development for, for myself personally um, was the time I spent in college. Uh, nothing since then has been anywhere near as difficult, uh, fortunately, um, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at my college experience. Um, but yeah, it really set me up to understand what it takes to be successful at, at any level. Derek, I, I was wondering if you could maybe describe, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the boiling of the frog type of metaphor. Maybe it's the wrong metaphor, but like you said that you were a captain three of your four years. When did it become apparent that you were in that role as captain? Was that something that you asserted yourself or was it something that was then granted to you by your teammates because they recognized something that you were doing that made them want to follow you? Yeah, it was it was a, um, a super important experience in my life, honestly, that that transition from just an athlete to kind of a leader on the team. Um, so I do actually specifically remember my it was going into my sophomore year um, and each year we had to kind of give a presentation if you wanted to be a captain. And then the team voted on it, you know, that day uh, in our group meeting. So you know, pretty much my speech was something that would kind of encompass my my journey moving forward from there is that I just had the belief that the leader doesn't have to be the best at what they do. They just have to believe in what the group is trying to accomplish. And, and I saw myself as a representation of Loyola Athletics at that time. I, you know, again, we were, we were fi fighting to get to the top in terms of our performance. We were, you know, eight to 10 in the country. A lot of Midwest guys, California always dominated. Um, so we weren't like an entitled group of athletes. We were a bunch of grinders. And I felt like, hey, you know, a group of grinders should be represented by someone who is maybe not the best, but someone who's working, working their butt off every day. Um, so, yeah, I kind of gave that speech, kind of represented who I was. And I don't know if I knew it at the time, but I was kind of doing a little bit of self-evaluation and, and defining myself for, for my future path as well and, and my goals moving forward. That seems like such an important part of growth is reflection. And sometimes people don't always arrive at that as naturally as you did. How much do you, so you, you talked about just then how, Reflection really was something that allows you to see the steps where you need to go. Um, how, how do you also bring that into what you do today? Self-reflection is my number one priority, honestly. It's, um, you know, almost to, a, almost to a negative degree, honestly. You know, I, I certainly, in my own self-reflection, reflect on how much I self-reflect, right? And it can be, <laughs> you know, it can be anxiety-inducing. It can be stressful yeah. at times. But, but it's valuable. I think that no success is the best success you could possibly have had in that moment. And it's good to recognize that. And, and honestly, no failure is truly a failure until you let it be. So, you know, reflecting on those things and really putting things in the right place, to put it as simply as possible, um, is so valuable to me. Um, you, you know, I'm a, I'm a Google Calendar guy. So all my life is, is in one place. And I like my emotions and my feelings and my goals to also have, you know, their correct pockets and and make sure that I address them appropriately. Um, 
for both the highs and the lows. So Derek, you had to make probably the heartbreaking transition of not being able to maybe compete at that level when you finally had to graduate, but then you, you, you did transition into becoming a, a kind of an assistant coach at Loyola. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that you immediately saw yourself changing and how your approach to leadership in your approach to how to maybe guide people that were once peers that now are mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, now seeking your leadership as uh, as their coach? What was that transition like and what what were some of the most immediate kind of uh, things that you learned from that experience? Yeah, uh, you know, from the transition was easy in a few ways. The, the biggest one being that... Um, my my play on the court, though, you know, valuable and I, I appreciated my time there wasn't the main aspect of my collegiate, you know, athletic career. So transitioning, I wasn't transitioning from, you know, the starting most valuable player on the team to a coach. I was transitioning from a kind of court coach to an actual coach. So that was the easier part of the transition, probably. Um, I'd say the difficult part uh, I'm saying it's difficult, but it's almost simple. It was realizing how easy some things are and how difficult we make them as individuals. So kind of finding that way to explain things I'd known for a long time in a more simple fashion to make it more universally understood. So we say it all the time as we coach volleyball, and it's it's probably true of most sports, but especially volleyball is it's a simple game. It is a very simple game that we as athletes make complicated. Um, So I think that transition was from being one of the people who overcomplicate all aspects of of the sport and competition to trying to to help other athletes take a step back, um, you know, self-reflect a little bit and and make the game a little bit easier on themselves. Um, So that was probably the the more difficult of the changes. And then, um, you know, the operation side. Uh, a sport is probably 10% about the actual competition and 90% about the preparation, putting people in the right situations and, um, you know, kind of setting yourself up to succeed before you even step on the court. So learning a lot of those behind the scenes things that help people have success uh, was, was really valuable as well as I transitioned to being a coach. That's got to be really tricky the way you just described that, which is you have the vantage point to evaluate for the first time a very elite athlete and that your job is to put them in a position that's going to make them successful and then by extension the team. But sometimes those ideas might be different than what the athlete thinks. Yep. What are, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you use special gloves to maybe guide them in uh, seeing your way when sometimes that might, that you might have totally different ideas about what that success means. You, uh, Brian, you just nailed something that I've been self-reflecting on recently. And I, I've for years have been trying to get, get better at honestly. And, you know, when I first started coaching, I, I probably said the phrase uh, or used I so, so often, like when I played or this is what I used to do, or here's how I saw the game. Um, and I really thought that I had, had played my career out in a, in a positive way and, and thought others should reflect that path and, and they would find success as well. And, you know, though some of that is true and using experience to help others is, is valuable, it, 
I needed to take more time to understand that individual I was working with to find the path that actually works for them, which could be significantly different than the path that I took. Um, so that was huge. And, and it's still something I work on to this day because, you know, you're proud of what you did. You, you think that you did things the right way and that if others are similar, they'll, they'll be happy with it. But it was a big transition for me to take a lot of eyes out of my conversation and, and ask a lot more questions of those that I was coaching and then really reflect and decide, Hey, what pieces of what I did will help them? And what are some creative ways to leverage some of the strengths that they have that I didn't to maybe even have more success than I did. So that, that was huge for sure. And something I, I continue to work on. Yeah. I like what you said uh, just there. And then before where you said, I mean, for no pun intended, you know, using volleyball metaphors, but like how you help your players get beyond the blocking mm-hmm. of like, if something's get, if something's keeping you from there, you have to give them the vocabulary and the imagination and confidence to kind of uh, to, to work around that. I thought that was a really kind of cool idea. So after your time as assistant coach uh, at Loyola, um, do you, you, how did you branch out from there into your, uh, to your uh, kind of business experiences? Yeah, it was uh, a lot of happy accidents, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, when I was in grad school, uh, I was coaching, but I also needed a business related uh, internship for, uh, for my courses. So after finishing undergrad, there was about a year period where I was coaching full time um, with Loyola. Then I would be going to night classes for grad school. And then during the days, I would be working my internship to in order to graduate um, with my master's. So the internship I got through volleyball, uh, it was with Chicago Sport and Social Club. And really, you know, I loved working there when I was in college. I set up volleyball nets in the summer, gave me the opportunity to stay in Chicago. Uh, So I knew I liked the organization. I knew the people there. Um, But honestly, it fit into my schedule. It it got me the credit I needed. It was in the volleyball world. So they worked around my schedule because they knew me and they knew what I was doing. And, And so it was kind of an accident to get involved with that exact company. So I did not plan to stay there after my internship or after I graduated, but I kind of fell in love with the company, the people there, and they immediately offered me an opportunity upon graduating to to stay in the company. So that was kind of where my sports business career started very, very accidentally. Over five or six years, I worked my way up in that company and got involved in the marketing, event management, and then a ton of hours just out there at the, the leagues and events. Uh, so really a pretty broad experience in terms of uh, sports business that I hadn't intended to do, but I just found myself in that world and kind of kept pushing myself through it. You did When you were in, in grad school to get your MBA, do MBAs have a capstone project that you have to finish? Is there something that is a, uh, a project that you work towards uh, to kind of uh, seek the completion of that degree? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had a, a pretty unique experience um, with my MBA. I was extremely fortunate to be at Loyola and they've got some great five, uh, five-year degrees. 
So my senior year of undergrad, I started to tie in some of my MBA courses and was actually able to complete the whole, the whole deal by the time I was 22. So not yeah. common, but very, very fortunate. Um, but it's an actual separate program from their MBA. So we kind of had a, we had like a group of 20 or so of us from Loyola that continued on in this program that went through all of our courses more or less together. And then a lot of them had, um, you know, some more professionals, people that have been in their industry for a while mixed into those classes as well. So our capstone class was with that group of people that have done the five-year program. Um, and mine was to, again, I got a little lucky, uh, some happy, some happy accidents. Um, I was given the opportunity by Chicago Sport and Social Club to start a franchise for them in the Western suburbs. So I was literally able to create a company, Naperville Sport and Social Club, as my capstone course, as well as part of my career. Um, and that was... Wow. It was, <laughs> That's incredible. It was amazing. I mean, it, I, I could not have gotten luckier. It was certainly why I had a lot of loyalty to Sport and Social after that. Um, but yeah, I went out to, to Naperville. I, I created partnerships with restaurants and bars um, off the, you know, the model of Chicago Sport and Social Club. I found facilities. I booked facilities. I marketed in the Naperville area to get people to, you know, create teams. Um, I mean, just for some general reference, Chicago Sport and Social Club is the biggest event organizer in the world. They have you know, millions of people that play for them. Um, and it's just, it's absolutely insane. So I had a model to kind of build it out, but I was starting from the ground floor, you know, begging people at restaurants downtown to show up on a Saturday to join the leagues. Um, so kind of the boots on the ground really, really early in my career gave me a ton of respect for my, my managers, right? I think when you're young and hungry, a lot of times you feel like you deserve more or you feel like, hey, I'm working harder than my boss or, you know, why are they doing this, that or the other? And I kind of got it thrown in my face that it's not as easy as it looks. And, and being in charge comes with a ton of responsibility and decisions that are always going to be 50% every 50% people like them and 50% of people won't because it can't be perfect for everybody. So it was a very, very eye-opening and, I mean, awesome experience for me. So, yeah, I'm very appreciative for that opportunity. I mean, incredible that they allowed – I mean, I mean, just the, the confidence that they had for you to take the wheel. And in and, and, and Naperville, you don't want to miss out on that market because that's like, what, the second biggest – uh, kind of suburb outside of Chicago. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that they had that level of confidence for you that you could build it out really speaks to their, yeah. uh, again, their confidence in you to, to go ahead and do that. So uh, that's awesome. And wow. I mean, speaking of Naperville and its influence, I, I actually, my capstone presentation uh, wasn't about building the company per se. I went around uh, the country and I went to, you know, about 20 different cities across the United States met with their park districts, talked to the city council, um, ran just some data on their, you know, the ages of people living in certain areas. Are they married? Are they single? You know, how many restaurants are in a, a, a certain block radius, wow. right? 
So I went to 20 different cities around the country and built a presentation of the cities that I thought were most um, fit to have a branch of a Chicago sport and social style company come into their city. And it was crazy that it ended up being one that's in the backyard of where I grew up, that all the numbers matched up. It's a big city, lots of restaurants, lots of single people, you know, a lot of people sticking around after college. It, it was a fit. And yeah, so my presentation for my master's was actually about how to evaluate a city for its um, for its fit for a, an event-based organization. That's so cool. Was there anything that was like most surprising in your evaluation of the demographics that made something more likely? Was it college graduates to like, what was the, what was the type of secret sauce within that demographic mix that made it more likely to be successful? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest eye opener for me in general was how amazing it is to be in the Chicago suburbs. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, there isn't a lot of cities like Chicago, you know, there's two or three of them. And in terms of the surrounding suburbs of Chicago, there's almost nothing else like it. Um, you know, so, so kind of having only been in the burbs, you know, Chicago burbs, you think that's what the rest of the world looks like. And it just, it just doesn't, you know, there's down in Texas, it is so spread out, right? So if yeah. you're trying to pick a facility, you've got the greater, it's always the greater area, right? And their, you know, their area is just massive in terms of geography. Whereas in Chicago, we're, we're all right next to each other. Um, and, and that was kind of the biggest takeaway in terms of just understanding what cities looked like outside of Chicago and the Midwest. Uh, and then in terms of, you know, viability for an organization, it really was, you know, how many different streets have restaurants and, and bars on them? You know, how many, it, it was the percentage of single people over the age of 25 it was probably one of my biggest factors because it's fun to play sports as a couple, but time starts to disappear. You know, there's other things to do as you get married or have kids. So your single demographic are the ones that want to go out there and play sports to maybe meet somebody or just, you know, hang out with their friend group. Um, it's a great excuse for a lot of single people to trick their married friends into hanging out with them. Um, but you need those <laughs> single people first. Um, so that was, that was huge was, in terms of demographic, the number one thing was probably the, the single demographic between 25 and 35 years old. That's so cool. I just, I, I love hearing the application of demographic data and how it then results in those kind of uh, desired outcomes. That is so neat. So you, so you, you did this work for them and then when did you start kind of making the leap to maybe strike out and start your own um, uh, business? Yeah. So, again, a lot of little things over time. So I have to back it up just a little bit. When I was in college, uh, the coach that I played for, his name's Shane Davis. Um, and while I was in college, Shane and his wife, Andrea, started a volleyball club called it was called Division One Volleyball Club. So they started it, I, I want to say, my sophomore year. Um, and the goal was Shane was the coach of Loyola, and he was going to create a boys' volleyball club for every big 
boy uh, men's volleyball college. So you'd have Division One volleyball Loyola, where you'd get uh, college level training at a youth uh, at a youth level. Um, there would be Division One volleyball club Ohio State, Division One volleyball club uh, UC Irvine, right? So that was kind of the original goal day one. Um, didn't end up becoming a franchise, but the club in near Loyola had a lot of success. So while I was in college, I was coaching for Shane, uh, my coach's uh, youth club, Division One volleyball, and um, just kind of maintained that relationship. It was a great part-time job, kept me around volleyball. I, I really liked the owner, obviously. I played for him and worked with him. And um, just kind of maintained that relationship as my career progressed with Chicago Sport and Social Club. So I, I kind of reached a point with Sport and Social where, you know, I just didn't know what the ceiling was. I, I had worked pretty hard. I was getting a little bit older and, you know, I wanted to see where my path was headed. So I just started to explore around in different sports marketing, sports business based organizations. And, um, was another happy little accident was super fortunate that the Chicago bears were hiring when I started looking. So this move in terms of my career was probably the most difficult decision I had to make. Um, I had started making enough money to be an adult at Chicago sport and social club. And, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. And the bears job was a little bit lower level than where I was currently at. Um, somewhere between an intern and a full-time position with the Bears, where it was a con contracted amount of time, um, but I was heavily involved in the fan marketing and research department. So it, it was just an opportunity I couldn't turn down from the experience side. And I thought that taking this chance, taking a little bit of a risk, would pay off in the long term. So I left you know, a very secure job I had been at, been at for probably seven years and 10 years in one way or another with the company to, um, you know, uproot myself, take out some loans and get to work for one of the greatest organizations in the world in the Chicago Bears. So very long story, continuing to be very long. Um, after my time was up with the Bears, I, I was offered some opportunities to stay with them, um, I was offered, I looked at some jobs with the Boston Bruins, just kind of staying in professional sports and coming full circle, Shane Davis and Andrea, who own Division One Volleyball Club, said, hey, we just started a girl side to our program. We're starting to grow beyond our control. We might be hiring our first full-time employee. Could that be you? So took that opportunity um, small business, sports world. I felt like I could really up their marketing. I could kind of take their their operations and their business side to it to a different level. They'd done a great job with the volleyball side of it. And yeah, things so that was in 2006, probably 2015 when I went full time with them. In 2016, I bought the club from them. Um, and ran the club on my own. At that time, we had seven girls teams and about 13 boys teams. When COVID hit, we were right around uh, 30 girls teams and 20 boys teams and growing pretty rapidly. So honestly, since 2016, it's been just nonstop changes. And then during COVID, 
I merged my club with the other biggest girls club in the area. It was called Wildcat Juniors. And we formed a brand new organization that I am a part, you know, 50-50 owners with uh, the other club. And now we're Mod Volleyball and we've got 90 teams and about 1,500 people that play with us per year. And this all happened during COVID. Wow. <laughs> so that, that, that's normally you don't see that level of scaling up during something that would have seen as catastrophic. Uh, yeah. I was wondering, like, it, it had to have been so, everything that you are saying about the experience you had of, as you said, had you knew about marketing, you knew about just being a coach, you had so many different strengths in all these different areas. I was wondering if you could describe how that really allowed you to weather the storm of COVID as uh, as owner of this really new company. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think my biggest strength, um, you know, creativity for sure was, was very important during that time. Um, I think that, you know, speaking to the COVID part specifically, it, it was stressful. And I think people that had run businesses for 20 to 30 years and maybe had grown a little bit, developed a new program or two, but generally speaking, had been doing, you know, flip the switch for another year. Tryouts happen, club starts, teach them some volleyball, flip the switch, tryouts next year, right? And 20, 25 years of that, the world changes. And do you have the ability and the, you know, are you humble enough to change? And so many people had been in the industry for so long. I think I was lucky that I was relatively new and said, hey, I, I, they can't come inside. Well, I'll set up the nets outside. And we weathered the first storm of COVID with running grass volleyball and beach leagues um, in the first summer when we were allowed to congregate, but just not indoors. Right. And then after that happened, I merged with an organization that had private facilities. I had been practicing out of public ones and, you know, the private ones were still open at certain times while the public ones weren't. And we weathered that storm to some degree. So that was really, you know, creativity is what, what got us through COVID. And then, yeah, in terms of just the industry in general, what I feel like has differentiated my organizations over the years is it's, a full experience. We're a professional organization that runs youth sports. And I feel like a lot of the clubs, and there's so many of them. I mean, the Chicagoland area is the number one area for volleyball in the country. It's, it's, it's amazing to be in this area for sure. And I think a lot of people loved volleyball, loved the coaching, wanted to be a coach and wanted to pass that knowledge on to athletes. And there is a piece of me that is absolutely that. But I take pride in our communication level. I, I take pride in um, our calendars being updated at the right times, you know, sending out information above and beyond what a parent would expect before they even know they expect it. Um, so I felt like, you know, having that full range of offerings as well as being a professional organization is really what's kind of set set our club apart over the last five uh, five years. What would you say is now that it's it's kind of settling down, you've seen really incredible growth 
how you were able to kind of scale the growth and success of it. How would you maybe put your imprint in terms of the identity uh, of the company and then the teams uh, that represent that type of identity that you have for Mod? You know, I think our identity is what we've been able to do, and it does represent our identity to some degree, is as as we've grown, it, it hasn't been about the numbers or about the growth. It's been about providing more resources to our athletes. So, you know, there's always a fear of big club versus small local club, right? And what our identity has been is a professional organization with the most resources you can possibly have because we're a big club that treats that treats each program and individual as a small club. So to accomplish that, very easy to say, every big organization will tell that story because it's the right story to tell people. But what we've done is pretty much for every, call it every dollar that we earn more than we earned the year before, we try to invest a dollar fifty back into the program. So, you know, during these growth years, it's not growth in, in my personal bank account. It's, it's growth in the resources we're able to provide. Um, in 2018, I hired my first employee. Uh, today, we've got 10 full-time employees. So, you know, for every little bit we grew, I added more control through people and, you know, resources, equipment, facility space. I added that directly back into the program. So I think our identity is attention to detail. You know, I, I think that's what sets us apart and it's what we continues to set us apart because a lot of clubs are a part-time job for one person and it's a full-time job for 10 at, at Mod Volleyball. So I think, you know, that level of professionalism and attention to detail uh, really kind of defines who we are. How much coaching do you then still have your hands on? Like, yeah. You know, I love coaching. So that's that's the main reason I stick around. Because to be honest, I mean, in terms of operating an organization that I feel like any family in our area should be a part of, working myself out of the day-to-day was super important, right? So though I think I'm a good coach, I, I think some people are better served with me spending my days and nights focused on other things. So I have definitely pulled back. Um, but this year specifically, uh, I'm coaching a 17s girls team um, as the head coach. And honestly, that had a ton to do with COVID. I Mental wellness is a huge thing that we do at the club and something that I am very, very passionate about. And I coached a group of girls when, I, when they were 14. Um, and I, you know, heading into this year, I realized those 14-year-olds had that, that 14 season with me. That was normal. We finished the season at nationals. It was a great experience. And since that day, and now they're juniors, they just haven't had a normal life, a normal volleyball season. And now they're looking at colleges and they were in middle school the last time I worked with them. So it was really important to me and special to me with this group specifically to, to be in the gym and, and you know help them end their careers appropriately and, and really make sure that they were that someone appreciated what they'd been through over these last several years and how difficult it was and really was working to make sure they had that, that experience they deserve in these last two years of their club career. So to, to, to directly answer your question, I try and remove myself from the training specifically as much as possible. Um, because my, you know, the one-to-one of 
me training versus me managing the business is, you know, it's much more valuable for me to spend my time um, supporting my staff that then goes out there and runs great volleyball programs. Um, so specifically this year, yep, I'm still coaching. I'm still involved. But as we continue to move forward, my goal is to have great people and put them in great situations and then support those people uh, from the, you know, the bigger pitch, picture side. What is it that you look for in terms of how you know to identify someone who might have the already like the physical attributes of being a great athlete, but then they need to have that kind of belief and, and, and really the kind of that grit and determination that you were talking about before. What's the most actionable type of persuasion that you give those athletes that may have the physical gifts, but maybe don't exactly have that grit just yet? What's been the best kind of way to kind of get them to buy in? Yeah, it's that is the question, right? When it comes to not just athletics, but everything. Um, And there is no there is no single answer, right? It's unique to every individual. I should have known that before I asked that question. You're absolutely right. Yeah, right. Like there is no single answer, but I, I think about it a lot. This is probably one of the things I think about the most because it isn't just the athletes that I'm managing. It's those athletes, coaches, and then the staff that manage those coaches, right? So there's a lot of tiers to this. And, and honestly, at every tier, it's, it's very similar. And it's, you know, working hard no matter where you're at. Hard work and grit. I think grit is, it's a perfect word for just pretty much anything. If you've got grit, you're going to find your way in life. And I, I truly believe that. And, and then it's appreciation for your situation. Because so many kids that may not be as talented as their peers find success by working really hard, being good teammates, listening and adapting. And there's some kids that, that do that, but they then they think that that action and that hard work should get them to the exact same level as the person, as the, their peer or the person they're looking up to. And that just isn't true. You know, the reward for hard work and grit and passion is finding your highest level of success, not finding the highest level of success. And I think that is what has always been super important to me that I try to impart to our athletes is that, you know, just hard work in and of itself is the reward. And it has to be the reward. Because if you're only working hard because you have a very specific goal in place, such a few small, such a small percentage of people, even if they're the hardest worker and the most talented person, can't reach that top echelon. So, you know, I think appreciation of your situation is as important as that hard work and dedication. Because if you're putting that hard work and dedication in, it doesn't mean you're going to be the best. It just means you're going to be exactly as good as you can be. So I do think it's equal parts of that. And it's certainly one of the hardest lessons to learn in life. And the hardest thing to tell an athlete is you got to work hard, but that only means you're going to get to your threshold, not someone else's threshold, but yours. So I don't know if that answers the question you asked, but uh, yeah, not, that, not only does that answer 
that question, it, it actually almost answers the, the usually my last question, which is what are your tips for success for uh, current Wildcats? And I think you thread the needle on that one too with that answer. That was really good. That yeah. was excellent. Um, and, and, and I don't know if there's anything more to say about that question that I usually ask is that you really kind of summarize the the kind of formula for success and reflection uh, so well uh, with that, with that, uh, that answer right there. I I mean, it really is. That's, that's been, and I kind of, you know, I've mentioned it frequently throughout this, this conversation that there've been a lot of happy little accidents and a lot of things that over my life that have added up to, to where I am today. Um, And I didn't know at the time when they were happening. Right. So I think that that life advice that you're referring to is, is appreciate appreciate the situation you're in. Um, there is nothing wrong with dreaming. There's nothing wrong with big goals. But while you dream and while you have those goals and while you work towards them, don't look past the the present. Don't look past the moment you're in, um, because there's always always something to gather to get out of that. And though I didn't, you know, there were times at Sport and Social where I felt underutilized or underappreciated, or I'm like what did I get my MBA for if, you know, I'm setting up volleyball nets for, for 15 hours a week. Right. And though I had those feelings, I I dug into the experience I was having and got everything possible I could out of it. And without a doubt, those formative years at sport and social taught me that, you know, the day doesn't always end at five and working hard doesn't have to be a negative thing. Um, So, so yeah, I think that's my advice is, dream big, but, but appreciate where you are at the same time. It's, it's always, I tell my, my girls all the time that play, like, it's always nice to win. It's always good to play hard, no matter what the situation is. So, you know, whether you're playing the best team in the country or the worst team in the country in a match, you should play equally hard and appreciate that opportunity to compete because it all matters. Every single one of them does. And you're never sure which one is going to be the one that impacts you the most in the long run. What What do you recommend in terms of like things that you have watched or read or listened to that also kind of like along the way, like, you know what, that's a, that's a good book to read, or that's a great podcast to listen to, or that was a really cool documentary that helps kind of like also embody the type of success that you, um, that, that you talk about. Yeah, I think... I think honestly, the most important thing to me or the biggest recommendation I would have for that quote unquote extra time you might have to, to develop yourself is relationship building. Um, you know, reading books and, and whatnot have, have really helped me for the more general concepts that I might enact on a daily basis for my business. Um, but nothing will ever outweigh the value of building relationships with the people that you work with and appreciating and respecting people that, you know, might be above you, uh, might be equal to you in terms of your role at, at a job, um, or might even be below you in, in your kind of managing that individual, um, the benefits and the knowledge and really the growth that you gain from showing respect and appreciation and interest in, in those around you, um, I think is the most valuable valuable thing I've done. And the biggest recommendation I would make to others is, you know, don't take any relationship lightly. And, you know, people appreciate and enjoy others interest in what they do. 
you know, a simple question to somebody who's in the industry you might want to be in one day, that could be the person that hires you into that industry because you might have been the only person to ever ask them a question about what they do in their entire career. So I think I always recommend taking time to build relationships and learn more about others around you. Um, that's that's always what I, I try and get, you know, anyone who has that question, that's that's always what I say. Ah, that was great. It's, it's amazing how we forget it is, it's always been about relationships mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, oh. not, and that type of, and not it's, I know it can be almost like cynical or it has the wrong connotation when you think like networking and all that, but like, because it's too business speaking, but like, it is about how do I establish the vetted trust in this other individual that they understand me and the, you, it, it's just, it's, it's amazing how, uh, true that has always been and how we forget about it. So yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. I, I like to think that I haven't networked a day in my life. You know, I've, I've, yeah. I, I went to a couple networking things when I was young in my career and they were probably the most useless of the relationship building things <laughs> I've done. Like, yeah. you know, when you go there with the intent of extracting something from another person, it's not, that's not the goal, Right. So I always, you got to go in with the the goal of appreciating and respecting another individual and actually learning about them. And if that leads to quote unquote networking, that's great. But you can't, you don't want to extract value from another human being. That's not the right way to look at it. So yeah, you, you absolutely nailed at it. Nailed it. Relationships are everything. Um, and though you can learn a lot from a book, from books that you can apply, absolutely you have to apply those things you read to real life and other human beings. So you better know those human beings um, and not just, not just the concepts. Ah, well, Derek, this has been so great. Uh, I'm so happy that we're able to get our, 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 uh, our connections working here with yeah. the, uh, the sound. Cause this was, uh, this was great. I think uh, I learned a ton and I know that everyone listening to this will as well. This has been, you made, you know, uh, you know, made uh, like all of these things, as I said, come together and and work in a way that just seems like you have such an incredible uh, business and you love what you do. It's just so exciting to hear when people uh, are able to fuse those two things together. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to chat and uh, I'm always available to to the, the community of WeGo. So um, look me up, reach out to me. Like I said, I'm always working to develop relationships. So if anyone wants to be a part of that, I'm, I'm definitely around. Cool. I will make sure all the information will be uh, linked uh, together on the page. So thanks. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's WeGo, V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at WeGo Places Podcast or on Twitter at WeGo Places. <laughs>